Welcome friends to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. Having fun and enjoying your power as a neurodivergent individual. I have a really cool guest for you today. Y'all are going to love it. Perry and I ran into each other. I'm not even really sure exactly how that worked from the magic of social media. And we have a great connection. So his bio is in the show notes, but I think what's most important is that Perry has brought himself into this magical, amazing place through tons of hard work to really bring attention to the neurodivergent community, to the possibilities, and to creating a sense of belonging for people who maybe don't feel like they belong anywhere. I really respect Perry and his work, and I've asked him to come on the show on Someone Gets Me today for a reason, and that is to talk about it, talk about being neurodivergent and ways to have it work in your favor rather than seeing it as a disability or a hindrance. So Perry, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. What an intro. Wow. <laughs> I like that. Thank you. And, and when I, where I want to start a little bit is if you could give everybody kind of like a cliff note version of how did your work, the octopus movement and all the other work you're doing, how did it get birthed? How did it show up and emerge through you in the beginning? What happened? Something happened. <laughs> Maybe it's my midlife crisis that happened. <laughs> I was I was always the weirdo. I was always the crazy one, the misfit, and and the rebel a little bit. I was always doing things differently, and that was just me. I never thought about it. It was just what it was. Mm -hmm. Sometimes very difficult, very challenging. Sometimes a lot of fun, and a lot of people were enjoying to be in my company because I always had crazy stories and. I had, and I left the Netherlands to live in China with my wife and kids. And I, I did crazy things. And I sold a TV format in, in Hong Kong to one of the biggest production companies to start a TV show as a taxi driver in China. Crazy things, right? But then at the age of 44, I think that's, yeah, 44, I'm now 47. Someone sent me an article about creative generalists. So I was reading that. And I was like, yeah, it's me, right? Mm -hmm. And I was in contact with a good friend of mine in Brussels, Aaron, Aaron Meyer. And she said, well, we in the States have a name for that. It's called multipotentiality. You have to check it out. It's a TED talk. So I saw Emily Wapnick's TED talk yes. about multipotentialites. And I thought, oh, that's fascinating. <laughs> that's a bit like me. Not a hundred percent, but I, I could relate to that. Multiple passions, learning very fast, adopting yourself very fast. So I started interviewing multipotentialites. And this was just before the pandemic. Then the pandemic hit. Everybody was on Zoom. So doing these kind of interviews was very easy. Everybody was available and everybody all of a sudden had a Zoom account. I love that. So I was interviewing people like crazy, all these multipotentialites. I went to LinkedIn. 
find a multi-potential. I checked out their profile thinking, oh, that's an interesting person. I'm going to interview this person. And I went from Bangladesh to South Africa, all over the world, just behind my laptop. And after 70 interviews, I discovered something. I forgot about my own neurodiversity. I have ADHD and dyslexia, severe dyslexia, really, me and my writing. <laughs> it's funny from time to time. And I was interviewing all these people and I thought after 70 interviews or, or something like that, so it took me a long time to discover this, I wasn't paying attention. Most of the people had neurodiversity. So being wired differently creates this kind of multi-potential output, creates an output that is very fascinating, fast learning, making connections, out of the box thinking. That's the result of what wired being wired in a different way that's how it all started i thought it was so fascinating and i and i went to the netherlands i went to philip's organization i said can i have an mri machine please and they looked at me like are, are you kidding me but i wanted to do research why is so how is someone's brain wired differently and why is it as a result that it's easier for you to come up with solutions to solve problems to make these connections? Why do we learn faster? Why do we see more things? Still want to know that. And that's the start of the octopus movement. To make a very long story short, after interviewing so many people, they all said, well, if the world would only understand me a little bit better, I could do so much more. And I thought, you know what? Let's do it. Let's, let's make it happen. And the octopus movement was born. It's it's almost two years ago. In March, it will be two years. Just Perry behind his laptop. Now, around 2,300 members in 58 countries. We have a global network of ambassadors, founding members. We have a board of inspiration. We have art projects. We teach in schools. We're launching an, an app. We're doing crazy stuff. All with nonlinear thinkers, because that's how I call it. I don't call it neurodivergent people because not everybody has neurodiversity or knows that they have neurodiversity. So I call it nonlinear thinking. Yes, I, I love that you call it nonlinear thinking because most of my clients that come to me are nonlinear thinker, visionary people who don't fit in or are outside of the, all the boxes. And they don't relate to any of the words because they don't either understand or they think it's a elitist thing or there's all kinds of like energy around it. And so they're quietly hurting or feeling separate from or like they don't belong because the language is limiting enough that it kind of stops them. And and so I I have I want to hear what you have to think about this idea that I've that I say to my people. I say, well, I think our brain, our cognitive brain wants us to think that everybody is the same to make it easier. But the truth is nobody's the same. So the truth is on a neurological level, and there's more nerves than just in our brains, we're all diverse. No two of us are the same. And then when you add our autobiography and how we've lived or what we've gone through, good, bad, and indifferent, all of those things, it stands to reason that no two people are the same. There's lots of similarities, yet we're all neurodiverse when you really come down to it. And the language sometimes I think is very limiting. Um, and so what, what's your experience with that? Do you see that kind of thing where it's 
much bigger than the language lets us see? Or... Oh, yeah. I sometimes have a debate about it. I also say, well, everybody, isn't this, if you look at the word neurodiversity, isn't diversity meaning that it's all different? So why do we have a group of normal and then you have neurodiverse people and they have a label? If you think about it from a language point of view, it's really weird. So we call ourselves divergent, and that means not standard. So the standard brain is 80%, and then we have 20 or 30% neurodivergence. That's weird. That's very weird. That's why you know, I'm not against labels. I think labels can really help us to understand our own thinking. So understanding my own ADHD or my my own, maybe I do have a form of autism. Maybe I'm on the spectrum somewhere. Some people even say that everybody's on the spectrum somewhere. It's just finding out where you are, right? Right. I bring it back also to education. I think when we're born, we're all nonlinear thinkers. You know, we're great kids. We're very creative. Everything is possible. And then we go to school and, and the educational system is very linear. So this is how it works. And if it fits you well, then you do well. If it doesn't fit you well, hmm. you have a big struggle. You struggle a lot. Hmm. And, and I think there is also something that is very interesting that some people cannot stay in that linear way of thinking. Their brain is wired differently that they understand linear thinking. They went to school, got their diploma or not, or just didn't finish. But in the end, you know, we're able to do all these linear things, but can help themselves to also be out of these boxes constantly. Does it make you weird? Yes. For, for 80% of the people, yes, we're weird because they've trained themselves to be in that box. And this is also something I believe that every time something become, becomes complicated, we want to simplify in order to understand. So diversity and people and thinking is very complicated. So how do we handle that as normal people? We simplify and we put it in boxes. So we simplify neurodiversity as well, and it freaks the hell out of me. And and I find a discrimination, you know, you have ADHD, you fit in the box of ADHD, that's it, we can label you now, and we know what to expect, and everything is fine. It's BS. I don't believe that. It's not yeah. true. Maybe we I, should stop boxing everything. I, I'm totally, I totally agree with you. And, and you're talking and I'm like, yes, I said, I, I excelled in school because I could adapt to the linear way. But yet there was this whole other part of me that was the creative nonlinear self. And I kept walking around when I was younger, especially going, nobody understands me because they, they thought I was in the box of you're smart. You can do the linear things. You can do science. You can do math and blah, blah, blah. But they didn't see any of the rest of it. And, no. and there was always that, that separation and that difference. And I find that in a lot of the people that I work with and just in people I meet in general, it's like, we can get in the box. Like you have ADHD and then, there's nothing else more to you when that's not true. No, it's not true. And it's nice to understand if you have ADHD to label some things in your own thinking, to understand what, where is this coming from, my behavior or my difficulty to do something? Is it me 
am I stupid? My God, I've always thought my entire life that I was really stupid. I wasn't able to be successful. I wasn't able to deliver on the expectations of others. Why? Because I couldn't follow that linear line. I just can't. I want to. I cannot be 100% in that linear line. It's impossible for me to do that. Yes. So how how is it that you are navigating creating this movement and keeping it going as it's expanding when so many people believe that then it has to be in this linear strategy way when you are so nonlinear and creative and amazing? Like, how do you balance or moderate all the different expectations that come toward you or that on, are on you with this movement while being nonlinear and so creative? How does that work? Well, I think it worked because I don't struggle with the linear world anymore. I used to be in in fight with that because I wasn't happy with myself. Now, that sounds really like a huge cliche, but I was trying to fulfill the expectations I had, and I wasn't able to do that. And I was blaming the linear world, Mm. the outside world. Now I understand that I don't have to blame this outside world. This is just how my brain is wired. This is who I am. This is how I function. This makes me parry. And maybe I just have to embrace it and make the best out of it and allow myself to do all the things I want to do in my way. And by doing that, sometimes I, I meet a lot of people. (laughs) <laughs> that are very nonlinear or multipotentialized, and they say, well, I'm doing so many different things and I'm not finishing anything. I would say, for me, that feels like uh, you're compensating. If you have a nonlinear brain, you love to create new ideas because that makes you feel good. And you need to make, you need to feel good every day because you're doing something that doesn't belong to yourself. You're still adjusting to that linear world, which is not you. So you're are trying to compensate by creating constantly new ideas and going into new ventures and whatnot. But I think if you understand yourself a little bit better and you're at ease that you're different and you can let go, then you don't have to fight that system anymore. So in in my work, as a founder of a global movement, I do use linear thinking a lot. (laughs) You should know all all the systems that I use, the Excel sheets and the databases and and the apps. And I have all kinds of systems in place. It's very linear. But within this world that I created with the Octopus Movement, I can be myself. I can create new projects. I can do new things. And I also learned something very important. I'm not listening to advice of linear linear thinkers. I don't. So yeah. when a linear thinker has advice for me, I thank that person a lot and I just continue because the linear thinkers don't understand my way of thinking. So I'm being a, a true rebel and very stubborn most of the time. I just follow my gut feeling and go for it. And if it feels good for me, I'm doing it. And I'm not listening to accountants or lawyers saying this, you should do this, you should do that. 
I hear them. Maybe I do something with it. But I tend to listen more to people that are also very nonlinear, like artists, and mm -hmm. then listen to how they operate and, and inspire me. And I find that very, very interesting. And I, I tend to listen more to those kind of people. At those two things, so allowing myself to be who I am, so I don't have to fight the linear system, and just I don't care what other people say anymore. That really helped me to do what I'm doing. It, it gives you that level of internal freedom, but I think you make a really important point that it's a yes and that just because you're a nonlinear thinker doesn't mean that the linear world is evil and bad and can never be gone to you know it's not the extremes like a lot of people try to do it's it's yes and like i can be a nonlinear thinker and totally use all the systems and dive into the linear things that need to happen and the strategies and things and still remain my nonlinear self within that and i think so many people get caught in that either or when i really believe it's a yes and and you just confirmed that for me it's yes the answer is yes. For for me, it's the North and the South Pole. It's very simple. We need them both, right? Yeah. And I, I wrote a manifesto for the Octopus Movement, and I'm also writing, the solution isn't on Mars, it's here on planet Earth, in creating a balance between linear and nonlinear thinking, allowing corporate organizations to embrace these linear and nonlinear thinkers into their company and, and think about other things than just shareholders' value and go in a straight line into as much money as possible. Money is fine, but it cannot be all very linear. It's not from this world. So many things are happening so fast today. We cannot stay in that linear train ride or whatever you want to see. It's not possible. No, it's not. And, and I think the people who had the nonlinear ability through history kind of had to hide it a little bit. And then they, you know, like Einstein and Steve Jobs and people like that, and Richard Branson, they're all nonlinear, but they don't yeah. talk about it that way or didn't because it wasn't accepted or understood. And now I think bringing voice to it and faces to it help everybody see that, first of all, it's not evil. And second of all, everybody can come together for a really beautiful equilibrium and balance instead of it being so heavily weighted like you said, like on these train tracks, just going toward a single outcome. There's much more going on here. I'm I'm really a sucker for documentaries. I love documentaries and reading books. I was just today watching a documentary about Sinead O'Connor. Very nonlinear, right? Very. Shave her head. Like I'm a beautiful woman, but I shave my head. Why? Just because I wanted to do that, right? I, it's it's very interesting documentary. And I was thinking, I made a list of very very inspiring nonlinear thinkers on the website. There's a whole list there. How does it work as soon as they have reached a massive linear result, then the world embraces these kind of people and then they celebrate their nonlinear thinking? Yes. But before that, it's a huge struggle because the linear world is very judgmental to these kind of people. They see it all wrong. They disbehave. It's ridiculous what they're saying until something huge happens. They become either very successful. Look at Steve Jobs, right? Everybody knows his story. He got kicked out of Apple. You know, he was, and now he's in retrospective, he's always the example. Mm -hmm. We're always 
talking about him. But when he was, I don't know what age, but he was fighting and it is his vision for Apple, for Macintosh computers. Most people, I saw an interview on, on a press release and a, and a journalist was interviewing Steve Jobs and giving him really a difficult time. This is all ridiculous what are you doing and it's all wrong and Look at his story now. And that happens a lot with nonlinear thinkers. People yes. don't get it until the linear results get there and then they embrace their nonlinear thinking. And we should, maybe we should talk about this all together and start embracing a little bit earlier to make things happen. I think it would bring a synergy that would have positive results happen much sooner. Yeah. Yeah. I'm positive. And especially in education, especially with kids. You know, we all know these stories, how linear education is and and your kid is struggling at school, being misunderstood is brilliant on the one hand, but finds studying at school very difficult, but finds studying in its own time with its own interests. They're brilliant. Something is going wrong. We're missing out on something and we, we need that in order to save humanity, to do something good in the world. It's not going so well. So we, we need that. We need these creative, innovative brains right. to make a difference. You're right. It is not going well. We should probably reevaluate that that linearness. And I keep thinking back to the industrial revolution where everything became machine-like. And, and I think that it's time that we wake up that maybe that trance wasn't all it was meant to be. I think it was overgeneralized into humans, not just machines. And it's time that all parts of us get honored. And I think I'm very excited about this year because I think it's happening already with AI. I think AI is directly linked into that linear world. Mm -hmm. And we found the perfect solution for the over-specialized linear world, and that's AI. <laughs> and in order to use AI very well, you need to have a nonlinear brain Otherwise, you keep going in the same circle and you don't want that. So true creativity and true artists are very nonlinear and they will use AI to really go forward. And people that are still very linear, they will use AI and stay in that same little circle mm -hmm. and then are out of a job and then they're complaining and then it's the fold of AI and then horrible things happen. But it's if we want to move forward and we want, everybody wants to move forward always. So I think there's going to be a big shift from the linear single specialist to the nonlinear multiple specialist using AI tools to do massive things. That's yeah, that's great. Cause I keep thinking I, the people I know who are afraid of AI when I'm, when I'm sitting here reflecting as you're speaking tend to be more specialist people. And I'm of course. And I'm like, oh, yes. Uh-huh. I think that's I, I spoke to someone recently and he said, Perry, it's not fair. Then people write with AI. That's not writing. Writing should be by a human being. And I was just in the car and I was listening to music of Sinead O'Connor because I saw the documentary and I want to listen to all her music. And I'm like, oh, cool. And there was this new album from her, new single. And there was this DJ mixing all kinds of stuff and i just launched a new series of uh, uh uh ink it's a drawing an ink drawing of an octopus and i write a story with it and i share it once a week 
And and I was thinking about some background music during the story. So I was checking out all these sounds. Right. I was thinking that's the same thing in the music industry when the the drum computer came and mixing all kinds of music sounds that were electronic. Then also a lot of people were saying, no, that's not real music. You need to create the music, be behind the piano to create the music. Being a DJ is you're not a musician when you're a DJ. We think differently now. And I think using AI is like being a DJ. It's combining all these different elements together and be very creative and put your own flavor on top of that. Also with writing text, you know, you can use AI, you use some of your own, and the idea behind it is still your own idea. You cannot say to AI, just write me anything. That's going to be very boring. Right. And it's a yes and again. And I think that that yes. if you can learn how to have the yes and embrace and neurodivergence and creation and all of it, then pretty soon you start seeing the real magic of what each unique person brings to the table if they just would allow it to show up. Can I say something about that? Because yes. you're you're saying something very interesting, the yes and. I, I notice that I'm a bit irritated on social media when I, when I read about neurodiversity. And I'm struggling to figure out what it is. I think it is because what I see as a hype today about neurodiversity is very linear. Yes. We are neurodivergent specialists. We train your company how to deal with neurodivergent people. You should hire six people with autism. And it's so linear. And it's, we, we keep going back to that system thinking, like we have all learned at school. And I'm, and I'm, I'm figuring out why I'm so irritated by that. Maybe because it's, it's too boxed, it's too linear. And I don't want to talk about someone with autism. Why are we talking about someone with this label? Why are we not just being diverse in all ways and find the right people to do the job, how you want to work with people? And if that means there are people with autism or ADHD or whatever, I love working with people with neurodivergent people. You know, we understand each other very fast. We think in a different way. It's very creative. It's it's very interesting. It goes much faster than anything else. But am I going to say I only want to hire people with neurodiversity? It's it's not from today. That's my feeling. I, I get annoyed by that. Do you understand what I mean by that? I totally understand what you mean by that. And I share that annoyance. And And I'm in the world where I speak to gifted people and in conferences and things like that. And I notice that a lot of well-meaning people who specialize in neurodiversity are still applying the specialist way to do it. And it really is very annoying to me. And it's upsetting because I'm like, by the definition of the word diversity, we even started there, right? By that definition, we're all diverse. And so when you start saying, well, we have to have a certain number here, or you're taking something that is beautiful and global and magical and amazing and distilling it down to a railroad track and a few words. And it's more than that. Yeah. 
And I think that people who are now specializing in neurodiversity, which I see it all the time, are still missing the point. They're missing the boat. Now, it's a step closer to the boat, but they are not on the dock yet, even. No. And and I um, that's why I wanted you to be on the show with me, because I know that from our interactions, we're like-minded that way, that we see something more than what our linear industrialized world wants to make it. I sometimes say, as long as we use the word diversity, diversity doesn't exist. Yes. Because I don't know if that makes sense, but I always think about that. As long as we call it diversity, we categorize I can't pronounce it today. Uh, we 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 keep putting that in boxes, right? In order to understand, and that's why we use the word diversity. But what happens if we remove the word diversity? Then we then we allow everything to be as it is. And that's the healthy. That to me, that's the healthy outcome: is everybody being in their right and perfect place for whatever their passion and skills and understanding and way of thinking are, and then that collective comes together for something more amazing, whatever that project might be or the goal might be. And, um, you know, like diversity, some people think it only means race diversity or sexual identity diversity or socioeconomic diversity. And now you got the neurodiversity. And the answer is it's all of that and more. But the moment, like you say, that we label it, we just undid the very thing we think we're doing. And I and I especially have that with neurodiversity. Yes, yes. If you start labeling that, that's the core center of creating all ideas. If you start labeling that, then what is the output? Then the output is labeled in every way. It's yeah. it's so difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we we agree. <laughs> yes, we do. Um, and so if you're listening to Perry and I, and you're going, yes, 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 check out the show notes. And go join the octopus movement and follow him and be part of this movement because um, it brings me joy and enlightenment every single day in all different kinds of ways. I am so glad that we've connected. And um, I just wanted to put an extra plug for your things because I really love what you're putting into the world and the people that are part of the octopus movement too. So now uh, the personal question. I would love for you to share a little bit if you're willing about um, how you embrace and bring into your family setting the whole idea of being neurodiverse without all the linear parts that go with it, with your family, your children, and how how is it like in a functional way serving you? That's such a good question. Um, how to illustrate the energy that's going on in my household. I have three kids. I'm a single dad with three kids. We all have neurodiversity. All my kids have and I have. Mom, I divorced with mom. Mom is very linear, I think. Um, So how does it work in our household? It creates a lot of space. That's it. Mm -hmm. I had to think about your question. How does it work? It creates a lot of space. It creates a lot of space in my own thinking, allowing myself to be weird, to be myself, and to 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 take away these expectations that are not created by myself, but that I gave gave myself thanks to my teachers and my parents and, and everybody else. My parents did an amazing job, but still 
they they give you these expectations that are not completely yours. And I think in my household that's very nonlinear, that is embracing the nonlinear, the, the neurodivergent thinking is a very, very safe and open space. My kids always say that I'm very strict. I'm very clear. So the boundaries are there. So it's not a crazy hippie house. Boundaries are there. It's very clear. But in between, everything is possible. Everything is is possible to say, to share, and also to share your emotions and to and to feel whatever that's happening. Mm-hmm. And 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 nothing and nothing is weird in that sense. So it's very open. It's very it's very relaxed. And at one point, my son came home. He's now seventeen. This was a year ago. And he had a girl in class and she was struggling with her own family. And he said to me, can we, you know, can she come on holiday with us? She wasn't his girlfriend, but he just wanted to give her the experience of that open space. And and he said, I think she needs that. I, I think she needs to be able to breathe and to be exactly who she is. And I think that's what's happening in my household. And I'm very proud of that. And I'm enjoying that every day. It's really cool. Yeah. That's that's really beautiful. So the, the boundaries have set up the container mm-hmm. that allow for your children and you to flourish and be yourselves and engage and interact. But yet it's not so squishy that it's just this random chaos. There's there's a structure that is lovingly embraces all of you. That's kind of what I imagine, like this big loving embrace around all of you having your amazing life, so much so that your own children want to let other people experience it too. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's like the biggest testament to the strategy. And, and now, but now it sounds like everything is so easy. It's not. Um, because we struggle with the day-to-day life. My, my kids are teenagers, so they struggle with their hormones and expectations in school and and there's this world, sometimes I feel that we created some kind of bubble and that we have our own bubble and there's the outside world. And I'm always very careful with that, that that's not what we're just creating because then it's not reality. I don't want to create it, a bubble and in, in that bubble, everything is nice and safe and outside it's very tough and very linear. Even so, for three years, I don't have any income. So money-wise, I decided to to go to a very free way of thinking. Before I started the octopus movement, I lost everything, and and I and I did a hard reset. I was even homeless for seven months, and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be so nonlinear that I don't want to be stuck on that path of I need to have this income, otherwise I cannot pay my mortgage and and all the bills and. And still, I need to take care of my kids. I need to make sure food is on the table. But there are other ways, right? And thanks to the octopus movement, we get donations and it's possible to to eat. Is there a lot of space financially? No. But there, it's always end end. It's the North and the South Pole, right? And that kind of freedom also allowed us to create something of our own that is untouchable. Mm-hmm. And and that that's beautiful. 
Right. There's there's a beauty in in that essence of it. And so it's me when you're talking, I just keep imagining like a safe zone, like the world might be a little chaotic or crazy or linear or whatever it is. And we still have our home base, our safe zone, and we can go out into the world and have that experience and bring it home or not. And, and it allows for that, that permission to be in the world and in our own safe zone and honor all of it, you know, all of it for what it brings us. And and the safe zone to say, I'm not okay. Right. It doesn't right. feel good. Right. It's not going well. Mm-hmm. Even that I'm supposed to be doing well right now because tomorrow I have an exam, but I'm not doing well today. Or I don't want to talk about this because it doesn't feel right. Or again, it's very open. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's really, that's inspiring. And and I hope that all the listeners really pay attention to that because I think sometimes parents struggle with how to help their neurodivergent kids live in that space and honor that space and know that there's still an outside world that's, you know, there's still that rub between the strategist and the linear and the nonlinear and thinking still people think it's A or B and it's, that's not even it, but there's so much yeah. more. Yeah, because as a parent, what do you do? You want to prepare your kids for a happy, safe rest of your life. <laughs> That's what we want to achieve, right? Because maybe we didn't have it ourselves. I think that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have a very happy life. And now we have kids. We want to make sure that these kids get a happy life. And we're transferring our trauma also with our DNA to our kids. And we're recreating everything again. While you can also, but you have to work on yourself as a parent first. You need to understand your own thinking. You need to, what helped for me, I went rock bottom. I lost everything. So my biggest fear became reality. And I discovered that I'm still alive. I even went, became very sick 10 years ago with a brain infection. I almost died in the hospital. I'm still alive. So even when you're very sick or when you lose everything or everything goes against you, I'm still alive and I can still enjoy life and I can still be responsible for my kids. So if even the worst things happen, we're still okay. That makes all the other stuff so much easier. Yes. Then when you're being bullied at school, Okay, we can just allow it to be there and talk about it and and share about it and discuss and give it some space rather than immediately fight it and this is wrong, it should be away and and take action and, and be angry yourself and no, it's it's maybe a, a very strange example. I don't know why I'm saying this, but this is how I feel in explaining it right now. And, mm-hmm. and this really helps my household. If my kids are very happy with me, I don't know. We, we I will, I will come back in, in 10 years, Diane, and, and let's talk about it again. Okay. Maybe they will say, maybe they're all traumatized and say, my crazy hippie dad had it all wrong. That's also possible. But I don't believe so. I think it's going well. <laughs> and we could, we'll see as they get older what really happens. But it sounds exactly. 
I think it is beautiful and and your awareness and your understanding and your flexibility and your nonlinearness makes it possible. Recently, my 15-year-old son came home and he has dyspraxia. That means his fine motor skills are not there. His handwriting is worse than your doctor's. And he came home and he said to me, Dad, I think I also have ADHD and I think I'm also on the spectrum of autism. I said, why do you, why do you say that? He said, well, the friends that I like the most are, are friends with autism. So we have some weirdness in common. I say things that are very unexpected for a lot of people. I see things that other people don't see, you know, and, and he's 15, right. you know, he's a teenager and he's talking about it like that. Sorry. Makes me very, very proud. Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. That's totally beautiful. I would just say, look at him and say, well, he, he's gifted. He's got all these yeah. amazing gifted qualities that come together in, in his beautiful essence. You know, mm-hmm. how cool is that? Exactly. Yeah. So I want to be attentive to your time because I could talk to you like for hours. And is there anything that you wanted to share today that we have not talked about or not mentioned that's on your heart so that you can feel complete. One more thing that really helped me is the 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 awareness of the unwritten rules. Mm-hmm. That really helped me a lot with everything. To be aware of the fact that we have a lot of unwritten rules in this world in our lives. And we don't always know all the unwritten rules. And the silly thing is that especially people who created these unwritten rules expect you to understand these unwritten rules and if you don't accept you know if you don't know them or you don't act towards them they're judgmental about it to yourself and just be aware of these unwritten rules also maybe the unwritten rules you create yourself it's very interesting to to think about the unwritten rules in life and Going back to the kids, I always say nothing really exists except nature. We talk about numbers. It's a set of rules that created numbers and math and exact, et cetera. So does it really exist? And it's fascinating to think and, and, and have a philosophy around the unwritten rules. What kind of rules are they? Are they really there? How do we need to address them? Are we aware of those unwritten rules and how do we act upon these unwritten rules? I find it always fascinating to to think about. So I wanted to share that. Oh, I'm really glad you did. I I was thinking about unwritten rules when it comes to color and vibration. And like we say, the sky is blue, but that's an unwritten rule. Who said that? And it's a different vibration and we could call it another thing collectively. and. In all of those circulating rules, I think I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's very, very important. So I have two final questions for you mm-hmm. that I love to hear what people say. And the first one is, what is the most memorable food you've ever eaten? In all of your travels and all of your world, the most memorable food? Well, the first thing that pops up in my mind is China. I lived in China. And I think the Chinese cuisine is the best in the world. Mm-hmm. Sorry, all French people listening. The French cuisine is wonderful. It's definitely number two. I lived in Brussels. 
uh, uh, very close to France. I went to France every other week. Family-in-law was in France, so I get it. But the Chinese cuisine, just it was something very special. And I think the fried eggplant in China was my all-time favorite. They do something with that eggplant that is so fantastic that you can create a vegetable so tasteful. I just love it. Fried eggplant from China. That sounds that makes me hungry. <laughs> and the last question for you today is if we were going to put a billboard up that the whole world was going to see with Perry's statement, your message to the world that everyone's going to see, what would that message be? Allow your nonlinear thinking. Maybe that's boring at this point, but that's the core center of everything. If you allow yourself, forget about the unwritten rules, forget about how you should write or how you should interact. If you just can let your nonlinear thinking just flow and do how you want it and just do it and don't overthink, amazing things will happen. And I think people will be less judgmental and people will be so much more impassioned and so much more loving and caring towards others if we just follow that un unwritten non-linear gut feeling and and just and just do it oh that's, i love that that's what i believe yeah that is beautiful well perry i want to thank you for being on the show today with me and being part of someone gets me and just sharing your life with the world and i'm so glad that we are in each other's orbit <laughs> Me so thank you too, Diane. Thank you so much for being at your show. It was a real honor to be here and, and keep doing your amazing work. It's it's awesome. Oh, thank you so much. So remember, everybody, put your face to the sun so the shadows fall behind you because you're a rock star. You're here on purpose with a purpose. So go out there and allow your nonlinear thinking to emerge into something even more beautiful than you can imagine today. Until the next episode, if someone gets me, be well. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.